Someone once told me that no one says life is fair. When you hear that when you're young, you have no idea what it really means. Once you've lived a little, and then you lose everything, suddenly it makes sense. This podcast is a true life memoir of someone who lost everything and is rebuilding in search of who they once were. They're sharing their story as part of their healing process and so that anyone else out there living through similar circumstance knows that they're not alone. I guess, in general, if I was keeping a true daily journal or diary, it's not that many entries, but it's been covering uh, probably at least a month and a half at this point. I think I started this recording-wise in late February, and... Now, almost, we're definitely in two-thirds of the way through April. It's actually April 20th, (laughs) a day I uh, have been, I have lived through sober for the first time in 20 years, which brings us to... Some quick calculations here. Day 124 of sobriety on this April 20th, so I know not quite the uh, feat that the holiday is usually known for. In any case, um, it's not the only milestone for today, but... It's important to acknowledge where we've been before going any further forward, right? So, this would be the day that I discovered that my narcissist ex follows me on Facebook under a fake name, but one I would definitely recognize, as it was the name she used on and on when I met, or not when I met her, but when we started our romantic relationship. So I guess we can file that under not so subtle, right? So... In the journey, (laughs) in the journey so far with this recovery, we've been to remembering that we're not alone, remembering that there's strength within, realizing that mornings are hard, 
I think the way I feel right now is a, a pretty intense reminder of the fact that this is mourning, like it's mourning the loss of a loved one or a friend, which is not something I've been a stranger to. I actually, in the last week, I think it was almost exactly a week ago, I found out that a friend of mine passed away suddenly. A friend that I was not in touch with as much as I would have liked to have been in the last year, though we did talk quite a bit. And he was a very supportive friend when all of this turmoil began. Um, so mornings are definitely hard in that in addition to learning to navigate the dissociation of displacement and the salvation in no contact. I guess at this point I have to really face the fact that I haven't gone fully no contact regardless of the fact that I haven't pursued or reached out to her or stalked any of her social media there is the part of me that's leaving the door open enough by not blocking and deleting her number and I don't know I guess upon discovering what I discovered today I probably should go in and change some settings perhaps this falls into the setbacks category which we've also talked about setbacks are not a reason to stop yeah, or maybe this is more reflection on the recovery I keep I keep hoping that I'm moving closer to the rediscovery is recovery portion of the program and that with all the things that have been going in the right direction or a better direction lately the momentum with finding new clients and more new work um, it seems at least the way it feels to me that maybe there's a part of me that's never going to escape this. We've talked about a lot of details and reasons and sort of re-explored some of the things that have happened or that happened in the relationship that have happened during the last two years of recovering from it. And when I started this program, I felt a positive energy 
I felt like I was taking a step towards healing um, and that in a way I was trying to share that healing with other people with with the with the world at large I guess in an effort to reach folks who are uh, trying to heal in the same way or trying to heal from a similar type of injury, emotional scarring, complex PTSD. But what what I'm realizing is leaving me shaken right now is that ever since my setback, ever since the text I got from her a few weeks ago and the fact that I responded I really have emotionally and intellectually fallen back much closer to what I remember it feeling like when the break first happened But the difference is that having all this time that has gone by, there's a part of my psyche or a part of my mind that really is, I guess, sort of the big bully type of persona when it comes to reflecting on this and I don't know, perhaps it's an, an, uh, uh, a perspective that's echoed by some of you out there listening to this. Or maybe I project a concern that some of the friends and support that I, that I have at this point might be thinking that I... I should be stronger by now. I should be better about all of this by now. I should know better, just like I should have known better during the relationship. And that maybe some of the talking or constant thinking about her and what happened and... that really needs to get to a place where it is not impacting me anymore. And that for as much as I'm feeling this pressure that the sort of window of time for me to turn my life around with enough time left to get to a place where I'm enjoying my life, you know, uh, is, is, closing because of age and because of maybe some of the things happening in the world that I should have crossed more of a bridge from this place of pain to a place of progress. 
And a friend of mine, even today, told me that I am being way too hard on myself and that that may be compounding some of this aftermath and impeding getting past it. But there's a part of me that really I guess I find myself really stuck on on as much as I've acknowledged it and as much as I have come to realizations about it, as much as the hindsight 2020 effect has shown me more truth about what the relationship really was and that the person I think of when I hear her voice in my head or when I saw the profile picture next to this pseudonym that follows me on Facebook isn't who she really is. I It's like I feel like a part of the devastation is happening all over again. Because it's really hard to believe that that for a year in a long distance relationship and then two and a half years of living together I wasn't living with the person that I fell in love with because that person doesn't truly exist that this persona is a projected mirror based on information they gathered and put together in order to love bomb and manipulate I guess this is a really reinforcing reminder that this process isn't linear and the setback is really truly as far as analogies would go akin to an addict maybe being dosed without their knowledge or peer pressured into just trying a little bit after so much time of abstaining and it's so the fall is so far it's not just it's not like cheating on a diet where you're like oh okay i'm gonna have to do some extra time on the treadmill this is more like you kind of undid months of healing by even allowing the door to be open 
just the crack enough it was open you know uh i remember about a week ago i was catching up with a friend on facebook messenger and he asked me how i was doing and i was like well you know things are kind of crazy i'm uh i'm sort of still in this recovery mode because you know when this thing ended a couple a year almost two years ago that's about uh 22 months at this point uh i was the one who was homeless or had to find a new home i was the one who didn't have steady or enough income to support themselves and regardless of how much it might seem like we both were in pain from the relationship ending she didn't lose her home and she still had a six-figure job and it was her decision for me to not live there anymore it was instigated fights and lashing out at my family and doing so much emotional damage to me and to people close to me that even even all the outreach in the immediate aftermath after i moved out the emails begging saying please come back and we need to honor the promises we made to each other and it was all still part of that projected fake obviously they didn't expect me to leave even though the things that happened were horrendous trying to get me to come back because they were losing their supply and yet here here i am and one of the reasons i can't forget it is because every day i wake up not in a life that i'm enjoying or not in a life that i feel like I should be living at this point with the experience and knowledge and skills and talents and wherewithal I have for life to be the way it is right now. If I were in some way able to have seen into the future 10 years ago and see that I'm living this way, I would have never believed it would have been possible. I would have been like, well, how the fuck did that happen? And then once I heard the explanation, oh, you chose a really bad partner and you risked literally everything to be with them. And ultimately, in the end, they sent you an email that said, get the hell out by this date or I'll have the police remove you. I think waking up in that situation every day is what's making it hard to completely move past all this. And so I told this friend, yeah, you know, I'm still in this recovery mode. Life is still rough. 
but I got a text from her after finding myself thinking about her a lot lately. And his first question was, why isn't her number blocked? Or why do you, why isn't her number deleted? Why do you, why do you still have, why are, why is she still able to text you? And I didn't have an answer. I didn't have a good answer. I, I, I think somewhere in my mind, there's still this parallel reality that exists where the her that I fell in love with is real. And that somehow there might really be a chance for us to be together. Or maybe there's, maybe there's even this parallel reality where we still are together. And as some of that bleeds through in this oddly unhealthily optimistic way. And it's the fact that I can't let go of feeling that way. That I can't completely kill or turn off this portion of myself that does truly miss her. that I never blocked her from my side. I never deleted her phone number. I never blocked her phone number. And that even though I deleted all of her photos and the photos of us off of my phone, that I still have them all in the cloud and accessible. And he said that, yeah, you know, you really have to do all that, man. This is what they call the work. This is, this is realizing that there are steps required. And just like someone in recovery from a substance abuse has to make the choice every day to not indulge, to not relapse, to not partake even if that means removing themselves from the environments where the friends that they used to do that with still are, and maybe even no longer being friends with those people, it requires you to give up so much. So for as much as this process is not linear, the work is, and the work is hard, and the work will never end for the rest of my life, really, I guess. And I, I just want it to stop hurting. And every time I feel that way, 
and I hear myself acknowledge it, and I hear myself say it out loud, I remember her saying that to me when we were in the midst of the sort of month and a half limbo of we had this nuclear meltdown fight. I was, I had received the email that said I, she wanted me to move out. But for this month and a half of grace period, I guess, that I was given to still live there and figure out what I was going to do where we suddenly were finding ourselves having what I felt were the most real and in-depth conversations with each other about how we felt about each other. And that was, it was during that time that she told me she didn't expect me to really leave. That, of course, wasn't said to me until I was actually packing and moving my stuff into a storage unit. But it was a time where I was thinking, why, why are we having these kinds of conversations now after, like, grenades have been thrown and damage that could never be repaired has been done? I remember her asking me, why are we not trying? Why don't you want to be with me anymore? And I would be dumbfounded because I did want to be with her. I really felt like so much of making myself go through with moving out. Because once it's in writing... And once it's been threatened, you know it will it will be threatened again. There's no way to maintain this situation when it has gotten to this level where the threat of making me homeless will become the new method of control. It was a real, it felt like my entire self had fully split down the middle. And there was the part of me that was still so in love with her. <laughs> and that part is more awake now than it had been for like the last six months, maybe eight months, ten months. And then there was the part of me that was too based in reality and logic and knew that this was undeniably unhealthy and that I was undeniably a prisoner of the circumstances of the situation. And if I did not follow her request to leave, 
which she not only made to me, but then shared with my family, that I wouldn't, if I did not escape from that situation, that the rest of my life would be lived as a prisoner and that I wouldn't be able to reach out for help to anybody because the time for them to help me was now, was when this level of unbelievable turmoil was reached and when threats of it involving the police were a reality. And yet, here I am now traveling. I'm staying with a friend who is also a client. And we're working on a video course in a part of the country I've never been to before. Very mountainous, very peaceful. Sort of a sign of the complete antithesis of the type of life I'm living and the fact that I'm on a path towards being able to achieve this type of a life. And yet she's on my mind all the time. Which I imagine is by design. I imagine that even if she's listening to this, hearing that that is the case, is getting supply. But I mean, it's not a pure missing her. It's not a pure lamenting love lost. It's a very complicated web of one minute. It's hearing her voice and missing what it felt like to hold her and laying in a bed alone looking next to me and seeing this empty space where she used to be and feeling a piece of it, a twinge of where she should still be, where we were both meant to be. And then the next minute realizing that she's married now, living somewhere else, And that she was the one who told me to move out. And that she was the one who told me it didn't matter that I had given up my whole life and moved my whole life and risked my whole life to be with her. That the goodwill of such a gesture had worn off long ago. Why would I miss that? Why would I still want, in any capacity, somebody who could turn that way? 
And why did it feel so good to get a text from her the same that I was on her mind and that she wanted to know if I was okay? I mean, the obvious answer is because that's not true. For all I know, she was fighting with the new husband. Or maybe the new husband is starting to realize the same things that I had to be painfully taught about her. Maybe the mask is dropping and the facade is no longer holding. I have all the research and learning I've done about narcissistic abuse and narcissistic personality disorder. There's a time limit before the mask slips away and people realize what's really going on. So good luck to that fucking asshole who's going to have to sacrifice half of whatever he has if he wants to get away. In some ways, I guess I could consider myself lucky that there was no legal entanglement, but I still was left destroyed. Much in common with many others who have been in this situation. And not only destroyed financially, not only destroyed, but also destroyed, I guess would be the better way to say it, emotionally and, and, and mentally. And, um, I don't know why I'm telling all of you all of this. I don't know why that this is an entry in this journal of recovery because, because just like with substances, a relapse is part of the recovery and the setback for me has been more than just a setback. Maybe it has been a bit of a relapse. And the realization that she is married and that even if by some miracle she had gotten psychological help, the idea of us being together again, or the possibility of us being together again only exists in this alternate reality that is not there, <laughs> that I don't live in of us ever being together again. And I know I shouldn't want that. I know that there should be none of me that would even consider that, but I can't deny how good it felt reading that text. And maybe even a part of me felt a little flattered that she still follows me. But at the same time, there's a part of me that's fucking furious about it because, I mean, what the hell? You threw me away. Why the hell do you want to still know what's going on with me? You're fucking married. Why are you following me? And for as good as it might feel, that little bit of relapse, abusing the substance, trying the drug, 
I still, for as much as I can't bring myself to delete her number or, you know, block this new, newly discovered pseudonym account, I still also can't bring myself to look at her socials because I just see what her life would be like now. Obviously a much easier life because it wasn't ever financially interrupted or disrupted or displaced for as much as she might be able to try to twist the narrative or gather the flying monkeys or smear my character with whatever her version of the narrative is. She was the one who still had the financial capability and freedom to live her life, have a home, be secure, move, get married. A lot of people don't believe that when a guy is extricated from a situation like this, that he doesn't walk away in a better position than when he was in the relationship. A lot of us are still suffering from the cliches sold to us on TV and the stereotypes. And the biggest, the biggest key is that for anyone who's never experienced this type of a situation, even hearing me talk about it is probably not enough for you to realize what it's really like. But just from being in these groups on Facebook and on social media, these support groups, there is an army of lost and broken souls out there that narcissists have left in their wake. There are people who are barely hanging on, who have to struggle to breathe, who have to will the pieces of their heart that are left to keep beating, whether it be for kids, whether it be for family members that they are caretakers of. It's like trying to stave off transforming into a zombie after you've been gnawed upon because you don't have the time or the convenience. And I know it may seem like a trivial circumstance in the midst of the chaos that our world has become and all the social unrest and identity politics and looming apocalypse that may be just floating right there in the form of World War III that's always on the verge of starting. When that happens, no one will give a shit that there are these people suffering from CPTSD, from having chosen a partner who turned out to be a monster in disguise. It's not easy knowing that you've seen 
the face of the devil and it didn't have to be red painted with horns and hooves and that often it most most times comes in the form of someone that you could see yourself falling in love with or that makes you melt the first time they see you It's such a cruelness of reality. And I know there's a degree of unfairness, of unfairness attached to calling all of this out about somebody suffering from a personality disorder because the source of these personality disorders often lie in such heartbreaking trauma and horrible things that have happened to these people when they were young, you know, very early developmental stages in life. And so this is why people with empathy are so easily drawn to and taken in by them because we feel like in some way we're seeing through the cloud and we see that the person that they want to be is somewhere in there or the person that they have the potential to be is somewhere in there. I often used to say that I would try to understand why someone could be as cruel as my ex could be, why someone could turn from this person that I fell in love with to this almost demonic entity And when I would think about it and I would close my eyes, I would picture that I could still see the hurt little girl that she was suffering from these things that happened in the past well before I ever was a part of the picture. And at the same time, she would be surrounded by this dark cloud that was also emanating from inside of her almost like a demonic presence that would come in and that even she could see and was scared of and would be crying out of fear of what this was. And yet I couldn't, I couldn't get to the place where I realized that she isn't that little girl anymore. She's a full grown adult who has the capacity and seemingly at times the self-awareness to know that she needed help and it was help that i wasn't equipped to give her and help that it behooved her to pursue on her own psychological help from professionals who have medical training in how to help people dealing with the issues she was dealing with. And I, from what I understand, it's, she may have even sought some of that help after 
destroying me. And perhaps that is what's led to her being able to be with someone new, to get married. to move her life someplace else, away from where all the trauma between us happened. And I'd be lying if there wasn't a part of me that felt like, well, what the fuck? Why could you do that for him? You didn't do it for the person who risked their life for you. I don't understand. But at the same time, I do. I was, during the time where it was still not real, where it was still about mirroring and love bombing and manipulating so that she could be in control and isolate me from my friends and family. And that still, for some reason, doesn't stop the, the part of me that misses her. It doesn't turn off the questioning of why it had to be this way. So yeah, non-linear. Living through the nightmare to chase the dream. You know. All because I discovered that she's got the lurk. Right? Like that old song, she's got the look. She's got the lurk. Which I, I guess part of me even half expected, but I've, you know. It's ironic. I never, I never checked to see who my followers were on Facebook. I didn't realize until today you could click on that number when it says, you know, friends and then followers and you could just click on the number and it'll bring up, you know, a listing of all the people who follow you and I don't want to feel like this anymore. In some ways, maybe even doing this podcast is an extension of the torturing myself about her. But at the same time, it feels like it's one of the only ways I can release the poison is by actually, you know, getting it out. And that one of the only ways I can try to be that lighthouse on the horizon for other people who are maybe suffering silently or maybe even still stuck in their relationships and can't fathom life after one of on the outside. And maybe there are things you're hearing here that reinforce that fear and make it harder to imagine breaking away and rebuilding and that it's just easier to stick with the devil you know 
I would be lying if I didn't say that sometimes I really think, what if I did just, what if I had stayed, would there have been a way, would, would I have been able to, or would she have gotten the help she needed, and, and would it have, would it really have always been a life of prison? But even that is thinking affected by having been gaslit and manipulated. It's not clear thinking. It's wish thinking, but a misguided wish thinking. But I'm trying to find my way through this. I'm trying to get out of this cloud. And tomorrow's another day to do that. I'm wondering if there ever will be a time where she's completely eradicated from my heart, where I don't see her face in my mind anymore, where I don't hear her voice in times where I'm trying to fall asleep or question why I'm alone. And will I ever be able to not be alone again? Is this going to be the rest of my life now? Or even if I get the financial and career part of myself back on track into a place where I feel accomplished and successful, will forgetting about her or getting past her or omitting her from within me Will that make this stop or will there always be a hole in the shape of her inside my heart that I will that will affect my ability to give my heart to anyone else? I'm really hoping so, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to meet someone new again, but I know that's not going to be for a long time. And that is a hard thought to have to accept as truth as well. Part of me wonders if it would have been better to have just never discovered this. Oftentimes... There's an immediate regret, <laughs> you know, I regret reading that text. I regret responding to it a day later. I regret not deleting the number. I regret not being able to block her of my own accord. <sighs> I also regret having so much of me trying to figure myself out, be tied to trying to understand a relationship. 
that may never make any sense and there is no there is not going to be any sense of closure you know i mean even if apologies were made what good would they be in this reality in this life the damage has been done and even if just on my side of the table has been very long lasting therapist i'm seeing said i need to stop letting myself be controlled by the past and i feel like i wish i could feel like it was in the past but every day i wake up with a panic attack over trying to continue navigating the hardships and the waters that I am now in, I feel like that once that constant reminder disappears, maybe I'll have a shot. But the fact that every day that I'm living through something that is, even if it's not immediately a reminder of her, it's a Jesus wife, things like this. Oh yeah. And immediately you start backtracking and it will lead to, oh yeah, because I chose her. And here I am crying about missing her, when at the same time, being with her was a disaster and had led, has led to ruin. <sighs> has even made me apprehensive about trying to come up with a true plan to move to L.A. because I keep seeing or looking for which of these things is going to be the magical switch flip that makes me no longer sad and empty and lost. I want off the island, you know? But I still have a lot of work to do and many steps left to take. So if any of this has resonated with you and you feel like you would like to share, please send a note to hollow9podcast at gmail.com. That's the word hollow, the number nine, I-N-E, podcast, all one word. Put feeling it, healing it in the subject line. And if you or someone you know is uh, either triggered or is finding themselves too far into the darkness that just listening to me drone on and cry about my tales of woe hasn't been uplifting or enough of a guide to the light and you need uh, assistance of a professional or psychological nature please seek those people out seek out any aid that is available to you where you live and as always the national suicide prevention hotline is in the show notes don't let this intermission become permanent when you still have another act or two or three left ahead of you thank you for being on this journey with me 
all the things that we discussed. I think the most important is to know that you're not alone. And that I'm not alone. And that we're, we're in this together. So until next time. You've been listening to a production of the Hollow Nine Network. Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery, featuring Dave Maresca. Thank you for listening to Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery. Dave Maresca is not a trained medical professional, psychologist, psychiatrist, or licensed professional trained in providing therapeutic mental health care. This podcast is an account of his life experiences and meant to be just that. Any advice or suggestions made in the extemporaneous dialogue of the podcast is not intended to be medical or legal advice. If such advice is what you're seeking, you are encouraged to seek out the services of a licensed professional. The Hollow Nine Network and Dave Maraska assume no liability or responsibility for the information provided in these episodes.